The Law School of America. Intentional torts. Intentional torts are any intentional acts that are reasonably foreseeable to cause harm to an individual, and that do so. Intentional torts have several subcategories. Torts against the person include assault, battery, false imprisonment, intentional infliction of emotional distress, and fraud, although the latter is also an economic tort. Property torts involve any intentional interference with the property rights of the claimant, plaintiff. Those commonly recognized include trespass to land, trespass to chattels, personal property, and conversion. An intentional tort requires an overt act, some form of intent, and causation. In most cases, transferred intent, which occurs when the defendant intends to injure an individual but actually ends up injuring another individual, will satisfy the intent requirement. Causation can be satisfied as long as the defendant was a substantial factor in causing the harm. Statutory torts. A statutory tort is like any other, in that it imposes duties on private or public parties, however they are created by the legislature, not the courts. For example, the European Union's Product Liability Directive imposes strict liability for defective products that harm people. Such strict liability is not uncommon although not necessarily statutory. As another example, in England common law liability of a landowner to guests or trespassers was replaced by the Occupier's Liability Act 1957. A similar situation occurred in the U.S. state of California in which a judicial common law rule established in Roland v. Christian was amended through a 1985 statute. Statutory torts also spread across workplace health and safety laws and health and safety and food. In some cases federal or state statutes may preempt tort actions, which is particularly discussed in terms of the U.S. FDA preemption, although actions in the United States for medical devices are preempted due to Regal v. Medtronic Incorporated. 2008, actions for medical drugs are not due to Wyeth v. Levine, 2009. Nuisance. Nuisance is traditionally used to describe an activity which is harmful or annoying to others such as indecent conduct or a rubbish heap. Nuisances either affect private individuals, private nuisance, or the general public, public nuisance. The claimant can sue for most acts that interfere with their use and enjoyment of their land. In English law, whether activity was an illegal nuisance depended upon the area and whether the activity was for the benefit of the commonwealth, with richer areas subject to a greater expectation of cleanliness and quiet. The case Jones v. Powell, 1629, provides an early example, in which a person's professional papers were damaged by the vapors of a neighboring brewery. Although the outcome of this case is unclear, Whitelock of the Court of the King's Bench is recorded as saying that since the water supply in area was already contaminated, the nuisance was not actionable as it is better that they should be spoiled than that the Commonwealth stand in need of good liquor. In English law, a related category of tort liability was created in the case of Rylands v. Fletcher, 1868. Strict liability was established for a dangerous escape of some hazard, including water, fire, or animals as long as the cause was not remote. In Cambridge Water Company Limited v. Eastern Counties Leather PLC, 1994, chemicals from a factory seeped through a floor into the water table contaminating East Anglia's water reservoirs. The Rylands rule remains in use in England and Wales. In Australian law, it has been merged into negligence. Defamation. Defamation is tarnishing the reputation of someone. It has two varieties, slander and libel. Slander is spoken defamation and libel is printed or broadcast defamation. The two otherwise share the same features, making a factual assertion for which evidence does not exist. Defamation does not affect or hinder the voicing of opinions but does occupy the same fields as rights to free speech in the First Amendment to the Constitution of the United States, or Article 10 of the European Convention of Human Rights. Related to defamation in the U.S. are the actions for misappropriation of publicity, invasion of privacy, and disclosure.
abusive process and malicious prosecution are often classified as dignitary torts as well. Business torts. Business torts, for example, economic torts, typically involve commercial transactions, and include tortious interference with trade or contract, fraud, injurious falsehood, and negligent misrepresentation. Negligent misrepresentation torts are distinct from contractual cases involving misrepresentation in that there is no privity of contract. These torts are likely to involve pure economic loss which has been less commonly recoverable in tort. One criterion for determining whether economic loss is recoverable is the foreseeability doctrine. The economic loss rule is highly confusing and inconsistently applied and began in 1965 from a California case involving strict liability for product defects. In 1986, the U.S. Supreme Court adopted the doctrine in East River SS Corporation v. Transamerica Delable Incorporated in 2010. The Supreme Court of the U.S. State of Washington replaced the economic loss doctrine with an independent duty doctrine. Economic antitrust torts have been somewhat submerged by modern competition law. However, in the United States, private parties are permitted in certain circumstances to sue for anti-competitive practices, including under federal or state statutes or on the basis of common law tortious interference, which may be based upon the restatement, second, of tort section 766. Federal laws include the Sherman Antitrust Act of 1890 followed by the Clayton Antitrust Act, which restrict cartels and through the Federal Trade Commission regulate mergers and acquisitions. In the European Union, Articles 101 and 102 of the Treaty on the Functioning of the European Union apply but allowing private actions to enforce antitrust laws is under discussion. Negligent misrepresentation as tort where no contractual privity exists was disallowed in England by Derry v. Peake. However, this position was overturned in Headley Byrne v. Heller in 1964 so that such actions were allowed if a special relationship existed between the plaintiff and defendant. United States courts and scholars paid lip service to Derry, However, scholars such as William Prosser argued that it was misinterpreted by English courts. The case of Ultramares Corporation v. Touche, 1932, limited the liability of an auditor to known identified beneficiaries of the audit and this rule was widely applied in the United States until the 1960s. The restatement, second, of torts expanded liability to foreseeable users rather than specifically identified foreseen users of the information, dramatically expanding liability and affecting professionals such as accountants architects, attorneys, and surveyors. As of 1989, most U.S. jurisdictions follow either the ultramares approach or the restatement approach. The tort of deceit for inducement into a contract is a tort in English law, but in practice has been replaced by actions under Misrepresentation Act 1967. In the United States, similar torts existed but have become superseded to some degree by contract law and the pure economic loss rule. Historically, and to some degree today, fraudulent, but not negligent, Misrepresentation involving damages for economic loss may be awarded under the benefit of the bargain rule, damages identical to expectation damages in contracts, which awards the plaintiff the difference between the value represented and the actual value. Beginning with Stiles v. White, 1846, in Massachusetts, this rule spread across the country as a majority rule, with the out-of-pocket damages rule as a minority rule. Although the damages under the benefit of the bargain are described as compensatory, the plaintiff is left better off than before the transaction. Since the economic loss rule would eliminate these benefits if applied strictly, there is an exception to allow the misrepresentation tort if not related to a contract. Liability, defenses, and remedies. Indirect liability may arise due to some involvement, notably through joint and several liability doctrines as well as forms of secondary liability. Liability may arise through enterprise liability. Other concepts include market share liability. Vicarious liability. In certain cases, 
a person might be liable for their employee or child under the law of agency through the doctrine of respondeat superior. For example, if a shop employee spilled cleaning liquid on the supermarket floor and a victim fell and suffered injuries, the plaintiff might be able to sue either the employee or the employer. There is considerable academic debate about whether vicarious liability is justified on no better basis than the search for a solvent defendant, or whether it is well-founded on the theory of efficient risk allocation. Generally, this follows, if you want something done properly, do it yourself. If you get someone else to do it for you, then take the risk of their mistakes. Now a word from our sponsor, the Law School of America. Defenses. A successful defense absolves the defendant from full or partial liability for damages. Apart from proof that there was no breach of duty, there are three principal defenses to tortious liability. Consent and warning. Typically, a victim cannot hold another liable if the victim has implicitly or explicitly consented to engage in a risky activity. This is frequently summarized by the maxim volenti non fit injuria, Latin, to a willing person, no injury is done or no injury is done to a person who consents. In many cases, those engaging in risky activities will be asked to sign a waiver releasing another party from liability. For example, spectators to certain sports are assumed to accept a risk of injury, such as a hockey puck or baseball striking a member of the audience. Warnings by the defendant may also provide a defense depending upon the jurisdiction and circumstances. This issue arises, for example, in the duty of care that landowners have for guests or trespasses, known as occupier's liability. Comparative or contributory negligence. If the victim has contributed to causing their own harm through negligent or irresponsible actions, the damages may be reduced or eliminated entirely. The English case Butterfield v. Forrester, 1809, established this defense. In England, this contributory negligence became a partial defense, but in the United States, any fault by the victim completely eliminated any damages. This meant that if the plaintiff was 1% at fault, the victim would lose the entire lawsuit. This was viewed as unnecessarily harsh and therefore amended to a comparative negligence system in many states, as of 2007 contributory negligence exists in only a few states such as North Carolina and Maryland. In comparative negligence, the victim's damages are reduced according to the degree of fault. Comparative negligence has been criticized as allowing a plaintiff who is recklessly 95% negligent to recover 5% of the damages from the defendant. Economists have further criticized comparative negligence as not encouraging precaution under the calculus of negligence. In response, many states now have a 50% rule where the plaintiff recovers nothing if the plaintiff is more than 50% responsible. Illegality. If the claimant is involved in wrongdoing at the time the alleged negligence occurred, this may extinguish or reduce the defendant's liability. The legal maxim ex torpi causa non oritur actio, Latin for no right of action arises from a despicable cause. Thus, if a burglar is verbally challenged by the property owner and sustains injury when jumping from a second-story window to escape apprehension, there is no cause of action against the property owner even though that injury would not have been sustained but for the property owner's intervention. Other Defenses and Immunities Historically, immunity has been granted to governments under sovereign immunity and to charitable organizations under charitable immunity, although these have eroded in the United States. Various laws limit liability when giving aid to a person in need, Liability can arise from a failure to help due to the duty to rescue. Remedies. The main remedy against tortious loss is compensation in damages or money. In a limited range of cases, tort law will tolerate self-help, such as reasonable force to expel a trespasser. This is a defense against the tort of battery. Further, in the case of a continuing tort, or even where harm is merely threatened, the courts will sometimes grant an injunction, such as in the English case Miller v. Jackson, 1977. This means a command, 
for something other than money by the court, such as restraining the continuance or threat of harm. Usually injunctions will not impose positive obligations on tortfeasors, but some Australian jurisdictions can make an order for specific performance to ensure that the defendant carries out their legal obligations, especially in relation to nuisance matters. Theory and Reform Scholars and lawyers have identified conflicting aims for the law of tort, to some extent reflected in the different types of damages awarded by the courts, compensatory, aggravated, and punitive. British scholar Glanville Williams notes four possible bases on which different torts rested, appeasement, justice, deterrence and compensation. From the late 1950s a group of legally oriented economists and economically oriented lawyers known as law and economic scholars emphasized incentives and deterrence, and identified the aim of tort as being the efficient distribution of risk. Ronald Coase, a principal proponent, argued in The Problem of Social Cost, 1960, that the aim of tort law, when transaction costs are high, should be to reflect as closely as possible the allocation of risk and liability at which private parties arrive when transaction costs are low. Since the mid to late 20th century, calls for reform of tort law have come from various perspectives. Some calls for reform stress the difficulties encountered by potential claimants. For example, because not all people who have accidents can find solvent defendants from which to recover damages in the courts, P.S. Atia has called the situation a damages lottery. Consequently, in New Zealand, the government in the 1960s established a no-fault system of state compensation for accidents. Similar proposals have been the subject of command papers in the UK and much academic debate. In the US, reform has typically limited the scope of tort law and damages available, such as limiting joint and several liability, the collateral source rule, or capping non-economic damages for emotional distress or punitive damages. These reform statutes are sometimes rejected as unconstitutional under the state constitutions by state Supreme Courts, with the Seventh Amendment to the United States Constitution possibly also relevant. Theoretical and policy considerations are central to fixing liability for pure economic loss and of public bodies. Relationship to contract law. Tort is sometimes viewed as the causes of action which are not defined in other areas such as contract or fiduciary law. However, tort and contract law are similar in that both involve a breach of duties, and in modern law these duties have blurred and it may not be clear whether an action sounds in tort or contract, if both apply and different standards apply for each, such as a statute of limitations, courts will determine which is the gravamen, the most applicable. Circumstances such as those involving professional negligence may involve both torts and contracts. The choice may affect time limits or damages, particularly given that damages are typically relatively limited in contract cases while in tort cases non-economic damages such as pain and suffering may be awarded. Punitive damages are relatively uncommon in contractual cases versus tort cases. However, compensation for defective but not unsafe products is typically available only through contractual actions through the law of warranty. In the United Kingdom, plaintiffs in professional negligence cases have some degree of choice in which law while in commercial transactions contract law applies. In unusual cases, intangible losses have been awarded in contract law cases. The English case Hadley v. Baxendale, 1854, which was adopted in the United States, split contract and tort damages by foreseeability of the damages when the contract was made. In the United States, the pure economic loss rule was adopted to further prevent negligence lawsuits and breach of contract cases. This economic loss rule was adopted by the Supreme Court of the United States East River Steamship Corp v. Transamerica Delaval Incorporated, 1986, and expanded across the country in a non-uniform manner, leading to confusion. Among other examples, 
the tort of insurance bad faith arises out of a contractual relationship, and collateral torts such as wrongful dismissal involving possible overlap with labor law contracts. Overlap with criminal law. There is some overlap between criminal law and tort. For example, in English law an assault is both a crime and a tort, a form of trespass to the person. A tort allows a person, usually the victim, to obtain a remedy that serves their own purposes, for example by the payment of damages to a person injured in a car accident, or the obtaining of injunctive relief to stop a person interfering with their business. Criminal actions on the other hand are pursued not to obtain remedies to assist a person, although often criminal courts do have power to grant such remedies, but to remove their liberty on the state's behalf. This explains why incarceration is usually available as a penalty for serious crimes, but not usually for torts. In early common law, the distinction between crime and tort was not distinct. The more severe penalties available in criminal law also means that it requires a higher burden of proof to be discharged than the related tort. For example, in the O.J. Simpson murder trial, the jury was not convinced beyond reasonable doubt that O.J. Simpson had committed the crime of murder, but in a later civil trial, the jury in that case decided that there was sufficient evidence to meet the standard of preponderance of the evidence required to prove the tort of wrongful death. Many jurisdictions, especially the U.S., retain punitive elements in tort damages, for example in antitrust and consumer-related torts, making tort blur the line with criminal acts. Also, there are situations where, particularly if the defendant ignores the orders of the court, a plaintiff can obtain a punitive remedy against the defendant, including imprisonment. Some torts may have a public element, for example, public nuisance, and sometimes actions in tort will be brought by a public body. Also, while criminal law is primarily punitive, many jurisdictions have developed forms of monetary compensation or restitution which criminal courts can directly order the defendant to pay to the victim. Law and Economics William M. Landis, Richard A. Posner, and Stephen Chevelle have initiated a line of research in the law and economics literature that is focused on identifying the effects of tort law on people's behavior. These studies often make use of concepts that were developed in the field of game theory. The Law School of America The content used in the podcast is licensed by the Wikimedia Foundation Incorporated under a Creative Commons Attribution, Share Alike License. The text has been modified for audio. The content of these podcasts is for informational purposes only and do not constitute professional advice. These podcasts are not associated with the Wikimedia Foundation in any context. The Law School of America